What's up, everyone? We're back. I'm Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. You sound, you sound horrible. <laughs> Welcome back to our channel. We're not on our channel. Welcome back to the podcast, Dr. Lee Unhinged. Um, yeah, I, I, I sound horrible. Some people might say I'm sick. I believe that sickness is a mental state. And I refuse to accept I'm sick because once you accept that you're sick, then you start to feel sicker. So I am not sick. Mm. Yeah, you you look and sound it. But I'm kind of with you. I, I will tell you all this. You know, we're having worked with Dr. Shaw, having shot videos with him for years now. It's actually pretty difficult to tell when he's sick because, yeah, he does push through. He powers through. I'm the type of person, especially historically, where I get I get sick, I get a cold, and I am I'm down and out. I'm pouting. I'm pouting. I am in a bad mood. Uh, everybody knows I'm sick. I know I'm sick. My patients know I'm sick. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. This should never have happened to me at all. And it's just the common cold. The common cold is my arch nemesis. I want anything. I want to be throwing up. I don't want anything. I'll take anything over the common cold because it just lasts. For <laughs> I will say for you, you are somebody who does everything at all costs to not get sick. So <laughs> you are constantly sanitizing every surface, yeah. not trying to come in contact with anybody sick, but you are sick more often than anyone else is. So, it's honestly an anomaly. No, it's because of the kids. This is where the people come in and this is where they say, oh, you know, you don't touch enough germs. You don't eat enough dirt. I eat plenty <laughs> no, of no, dirt. No, no, no. I never said I was a subscriber <laughs> to germ theory or anything okay, like okay. that. You know, this, this the theory kids, of you know. kids are lack of immunity. They're grow No, because it's been... there. There's been some questions about the validity of this, like a building your immunity thing, like kids need to play in dirt. And I don't know, like I think conceptually it actually makes sense. The more pathogens you're exposed to, the more immune system that you build up, the, high, the stronger your immune system is built up, the more antibodies that you have, the more that you're able to fight off for fewer, further insults against your immune system. Um, but I don't know. I think some of the scientific literature debunks that. So, I'm not, this is outside of my domain of expertise. And so, I'm not going to jump in here. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think that's fine. Whatever. I get sick. It's a thing. It's real. I do get sick a lot and I hate it. So, I might be sick from Singapore. Let's just put it that way. And uh, <laughs> we want to talk to you about our favorite cold hacks. What, what do we personally do when feeling ill like this? So, I, this is going to be interesting because, again, I go to great lengths to avoid colds. I go to great lengths to cure colds. And I'm not sure much of it works. I'll tell you, too. I have grown up with a lot of home remedy hacks. I grew up in one of those homeopathic, naturopathic, off-the-grid households. I was drinking rice milk before they had anything like that. And one of the things that I had, and I'll you, actually tell me what you think of these because these will be interesting. Rate these. Like I, oregano oil on the feet. Oregano oil on the bottom of the feet. What you think? Good? Yeah. I'm going to probably say that that's not going to do anything. Do you do that still? No, I don't. You, I, I would go to school. I would go to school and kids would be like, what's that? Why do I smell spaghetti? Like, <laughs> it was the oregano oil on my clothes. All right. Tell us what you're doing nowadays. Okay. Nowadays. So, more to the modern take. So, I've always been critical of vitamin C for the common cold. I still kind of am. I know there is some data talking about how it can be helpful or at least helpful for your immune system. I think most of the data does fall on the side that it's not helpful for alleviating the common cold or shortening it. Um, however, I do do it because it's fairly inert. It's fairly inexpensive. And I'm like, give me anything, something. And then I do take the zinc supplements. Physiologically, I think that makes more sense. I'll, I'll, buy, I'll buy oral zinc for shortening an illness before I'll take buy vitamin C 
although I'll do both. And then the other side of it, um, now there's these elderberry supplements and they taste okay. They taste pretty good. And I, I saw so the same thing. I'm like, okay, probably pretty safe, pretty safe. The label says it's helpful. And um, in the world where nothing works consistently, I'll try it all. Yeah. So I would say, obviously, when it comes to skincare, I, I subscribe to true science as an expert in the skin, having studied the skin for several years. But when it comes to the common cold, I, I subscribe to pseudoscience. In fact, <laughs> I participate in all these activities. I'm, I'm using the airborne and the zinc tablets and the elderberry. And I don't think any of it works, but I do it anyway. And I'm a big subscriber to Dayquil, NyQuil. Um, that is like what gets me to power through all the times that I've been sick over the past few years. And this, again, is not an expert recommendation. I'm not telling you because I don't think this is near not good for you. It's probably not good for you. Whatever they're using in this to keep, it's like basically like crack uh, for, for the common cold. I mean, I think it, it, you know, I have it actually right in front of me here. Oh, um, there's phenacine, Tylenol, this is, phenylephrine. Yeah. Like I know these things, right? Yeah, yeah. Phenylephrine, my- boom, uh, dextromethorphan, cough, guafenacin, chest breaking down that mucus and acetaminophen. I mean, this thing is just like the powerhouse for for common cold. And then you hit it with NyQuil, they throw in 10% alcohol um, and they're really just knocking you out at this point. It, I mean, that, that they put the doxylamine and then- Oof, doxylamine makes you so sleepy. Wait, they put phenylephrine in the night one too? Mm-hmm. That doesn't make sense. I feel like that would keep you up. I know, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm with you. So here's why that's okay though. So here's why it's okay. Here's why it's okay. Let me explain us. Here's why it's okay to believe in pseudoscience when it comes to the common cold, but not in your skincare. It is because there is no comparator for the common cold. With skincare, you have like um, the new the new plant algae they found on the bottom of an elephant foot, right? That's the new thing. That's hyped. And then you have a retinoid. And so those are your comparators, like retinoid. Decades of science consistently works for most people. And then you have the elephant moss. For the common cold, nothing works consistently in the studies, you know? Wait, so there's, there's actually like a relevant <laughs> correlation here because this is why I also subscribe to pseudoscience for the hair. Oh. Because also there's no like definitive treatment for hair loss. I mean, we have minoxidil, so I'm like, yeah, use it. Yeah. But like if you tell me like, oh, well, you know, there's a turmeric oil that just came out and it's shown to work. I'm like, well, you know, I mean, might as well add it. Why not, right? Because we don't have anything that's like a miracle right now for hair growth. So, yeah, yeah. No, actually, that's actually fair. I think when there is limited evidence, you're more likely to lean into pseudoscience because what else are you going to do? So, I think that that's fair. As long as it's not harmful, right? Like as long as it's not something harmful. So, all right. So, now that everyone knows that we're pseudoscience when it comes to the common cold, let's talk about our next topic up. Okay, okay. So, first of all, it's Prime Day or Prime Day is coming up by the time we release this episode. And what are you buying, Dr. Maxfield, on Prime Day? Because I feel very strongly about these timed sales. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm surprised that you do. But let's... Oh, I bought what very does that practical. Mean? Well, I don't know. You're kind of... Um, like I'm a consumer? Like a, a hyper-consumerism? No, you're just so fancy. <laughs> I'm fancy? <laughs> Look at your background over here. I'm talking into a, 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 a wired mic right now. Yeah, you bought, I don't know, that's like probably a, a platinum mic from Singapore. I don't know these things. 
No, I don't know. It's the Gucci of mine. <laughs> it's the Gucci of mine. I, I don't know. I would. I'm. Pre- I never prepare for this day, and I'm like, I don't. I don't. I have a thing against impulse shopping. Even if I'm at the store, I'll usually like pick out ten things and I'll put them all back. I'm just like, no, I don't feel like buying these. I didn't think about it ahead of time. So, the day's buys were all very practical. Um, none of it's skincare related. I bought a new cord, another new cord, headphones, because when I'm at the airport or something, I can't hear videos when I'm editing them. I bought. A 10 pack of light bulbs because the light bulbs are going out in all of my softbox lights and a new SD card for us when we record. And I wanted to buy a Roomba. I added it to my cart and I put it back. So that's not coming. You pick things up, you put them down. Fair. I do. Okay. So I, I don't, I don't like these time sales because most of them are scams. Like, cause I used to work in retail for a long time and I know that we used to like, things were always on sale and then on Prime Day, they would just like return everything to the MSRP price. And then they would say, okay, now it's discounted again. And then a lot of people are shopping for the first time on like a mm. Prime Day or they're shopping for the first time on a big sales day like Black Friday. And they don't realize like that's pretty much the price year round. Now, every now and then something does come on sale that's like a really good sale of the year. And so I think you really have to be picky about what you buy. I don't like buy everything be like, I'm waiting for this one particular thing to come on sale that never comes on sale. And then you buy during Prime Day or you buy something that you already are buying a lot of, like you're getting a refill of you know, your sunscreen and you know you need two, yeah. three sunscreens for the end of the year, but you know it's only going to come on sale during Prime Day. And so you say, okay, I'm going to buy them all now because I'm waiting for this. It's something I actually need. But I think if you start buying things that you don't normally buy on Prime Day, you're almost always going to get hosed. Super smart. I love that idea. That's so insightful. I didn't really work long in, in uh, retail. I worked at American Eagle for... I worked at American Eagle. Did you? That's interesting. I did. Yeah, yeah. I worked there And for like I worked at Abercrombie. Uh, Abercrombie, very nice. Solid. Probably couldn't land that gig. They... Um, yeah, nice. So, you would be the guy standing outside of Abercrombie with a shirt off. <laughs> back in the day. Oof. I probably would have enjoyed that job. The... Um, yeah. <laughs> No, I, I also had the job where I held the sign in front of a spirit store. These are my least, the shortest two job stints, uh, American Eagle, and then the guy holding the sign on the side of the road, flipping it. You for, were a sign flipper. For a day, for an hour. Were you good at it? No, I, I just, it was not for me. It was at the spirit Halloween store. I was like in between jobs trying to find anything, like anything. And um, I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. I'm sorry. I can't stand <laughs> holding this, flipping the sign. It just wasn't for me. It's a tough job. I, I'll say I, I held many jobs and people who know my, my backstory know that I've held like 20 different jobs in my lifetime. And the hardest job, I mean, and I always say this, I mean, even to this day, you know, having done residency and you know, everyone complaining during <laughs> residency about how hard their lives are, I really still think busting tables was the hardest job that I ever had. Uh, I still strongly believe that, that it was a very busy restaurant mm-hmm. in the summer on the waterfront. Um, hardest job I've ever had. Still to this day. I don't disagree with you. I will still tell people something similar. I think the most stressful job I've ever had. And again, we've worked in the ICU. We've literally had dozens and dozens and dozens of people die in front of us, with us, in our hands. And like a restaurant gig, it's so unnecessarily stressful. I don't know what it is about that culture that it's so hyper demanding and that I don't know what's up with that culture. I wish it would calm the heck down because it should be a pleasant experience for everyone involved, in my opinion. Um, I mean, it's it's food and it's like luxurious, indulgent food. So that experience, super stressful, unnecessary. So I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it's super difficult because there's a, 
when people come to a restaurant, they have a high expectation of the service that's to be delivered to them. And you're kind of go, 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 go. And it's very, very demanding and sort of high pressure, believe it or not, it because is. they're turning around a lot in that you know, from the chefs to the bartenders, to the waiters, to the host, hostess and the owner, there's a lot of demands um, and you're kind of running around and, and doing all those things. I think it's sort of an under underappreciated gig. If you've never done it, you don't understand how hard it is mm -hmm. to work at a restaurant. Um, so yeah. Um, next, next topic, unless you had something else there. No, I don't um, even know what that topic was about. It's just like, yeah, <laughs> just it was a, a that was blurb. a side quest. Um, <laughs> let's talk about wedding skincare because okay, this is an interesting topic because I've been going to a lot of weddings. I actually went to a wedding this past weekend. So I was in Singapore for the World Congress of Dermatology, which was amazing. I met dermatology colleagues from across the entire world. Pakistan, India, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, tons of people. And Dr. Maxwell, by the way, a lot of people were asking where you were. Oh, that's cool. I said, I don't let you out of the house that often. <laughs> so, um, so yeah. So, so it was, it was incredible to see all these colleagues across the world. I, I got back and then as soon as I got back, I went to a wedding in Florida um, and I've been going to a lot of weddings lately and a lot of people either preparing for their own wedding or preparing for other people's weddings, what are our tips? Um, and this this article I'm pulling from Vogue and the title of the article is A Guide to Wedding Skincare from a Celebrity Facialist and Bride-to-Be. So, it's basically a guide and actually, it's a pretty good guide. It kind of gives you a month by month starting from six to 12 months what you might want to be doing from six months before might, what you might want to be doing four months before, three months before. Um, and it sort of goes through what they're doing and, you know, how they're taking care of their skin. I, I also really like this layout and this concept. So, kudos for whoever designed the layout and the outlay here. I think it's super practical because I think when you people are looking and thinking about wedding skincare, myself included, I was thinking more of like day of, the week of. But planning ahead, this is crucial. I think this is an expert opinion. So, where do you want to start with this? Are we starting at, what is this, six months before? Is that how we're going to outline this? Like two days before? No, that's our last step. The last step. So, six oh, to 12 months I before. I would say, let's go, let's start like six months before. I mean, I think that that is where you should start prepping if if you're the the bride or groom. And I think if you're just going to somebody's wedding, then maybe you can you can get, you can start caring about <laughs> this a month before. But, but let's say six months before, what do you want to be doing? Six months before. So, I say six months before, if you don't have goals, you better like take a deep introspective look at yourself because you don't want to approach this haphazardly. Like you don't want to be just buying things and using things just to be using them. That's always the case. But especially this time when you have like a pivotal moment, you don't want to misstep. You don't want to be trying something new. You don't want to be doing something that's unnecessary. So, I say goals first. And then you should probably look at ingredients that take a while to work. Like especially if you're thinking acne. I think a lot of people focus on that wedding day acne is it, but the best thing you could probably do for your acne skin before your wedding is approach it at least three months, six months would be ideal. So you have time to start an acne regimen at three months, reassess how well it's working, have another three months to make some tweaks because you want that under control months before your actual wedding day. So that's probably one of the first things and probably one of the most common problems for people around wedding day is acne. And I would start that planning six to 12 months beforehand, six at least. It's interesting that you started with acne because what I was pulling up before that you didn't know I was pulling up was this article actually written by Rich Winkleman, friend of mine, uh, and Dr. Del Rosso uh, that had been published in 2019 and specifically is about wedding dermatology. 
and they had come up with a proposed timeline to optimize skin clearance and avoid true dermatologic emergencies on the day of your wedding. And you know what they talk about is basically the top, the timeline that each of the things that you should be using for acne should be started prior to your wedding, right? So, for example, they say if you were going to be on Accutane, you should do that nine to twelve months before your wedding. If you're going to get um, if you're going to start a retinoid, it should be done six to 12 months before the wedding. And then also if you wanted to get like intralesional steroids for like an emergency pimple, you would do that within a zero to 14 days prior to the event, right? So, so it basically gives you a timeline on how you would treat these different, um, acnes. Nice. I think that's super good. I mean, that's super important. Um, so there it is. There's your acne layout, but then there are other goals as well, right? So a lot, I think Botox is actually going to be a really important one because it works fairly quickly. Um, I could see a lot of people perhaps doing this last minute as well, but I would do Botox at least three months beforehand. And why, here's why three months. So six months would be optimal, right? Okay. You do Botox. You have Botox. It looks great. It looks bad. You do it again at three months and then you try again. Worst case scenario with Botox. I would do it three months before because let's say it goes horribly wrong. Let's say you get ptosis, your eyelids droopy, one eyebrow's up, the other one's down, one ear's up, the other's on the floor. And at three months, it's probably going to have worn out. And so at this point, like you can just start over. You can throw up your hands day of the wedding, be like, okay, everything's back to normal. Um, and we'll just forgo the whole experience. Six months would be ideal though, because then you do have that time where you can try it, use it, make tweaks at three months again, and then hopefully have it very stable. Um, about the time, maybe right before your wedding, get it a couple weeks before. You mean trying Botox for the first time? Yeah, that's if you're new to it. Yeah. What if you're old to Botox? Like, when would you recommend Botox before a wedding? If you're in the bride or groom, if you're already Botox user, because a month. And so, because here's the deal: so it kicks in after a couple weeks, right? I would say two months. Two and, months. And you want it wearing because off. I think if you do a month. Because I think at two months, you're still fully effective. Mm -hmm. However, maybe not completely frozen by two months, depending on how naive you are to Botox. However, I say the risk of one month is that if you had any degree of peaking or you had any degree of ptosis and drooping on the eyelid, probably by one month, it would probably not fully resolve by that. So, I, I think two months would be the safe safety cutoff for me. See, this is a, this is why it's hard because Botox is very personalized. I think for me, my Botox, when we've gotten it, it wears off at about two months. So for me, I'm back to Fair. full movement. And that's why, again, I get think that just lends to the whole personalization of this. So if you're used to it, I'm with you kind of like for me, that one month window was my grace period where I have a little movement, maybe everything's kind of settled in. So yeah, I, I'm with you though, hundred percent be at that sweet spot, the one to two months probably, yeah, there probably isn't much variability beyond that to where everything's settled. You might have some leeway to get some movement back. You're not completely frozen. Things aren't stuck where you don't want them. So I like that. What about filler? How would you experiment with filler before a wedding or would you ever, would you even think about it? Filler is going to last six to 12 months at least. Even as somebody who just absorbs filler like a like crazy hyaluronidase activity. I would say you want to be doing filler three months before, maybe two months before, really get it to settle in. If you have to dissolve it, you can dissolve it. You definitely don't want to do it within the month before because if you get a necrosis, you get a vascular injection, 
Um, you get bruising from it. You definitely, you definitely don't want to do that a month. So, so definitely not like two months, three months before. I would say. Me too. I actually wouldn't gamble at all, though. If I was, uh, if I was filler naive and we're coming up on three months, two months before, I'd just say screw it. Like it's a lost cause, because the, I th- I feel like with filler more than Botox, um, there's a lot more variability in terms of persistent adverse events. And I'm not talking serious adverse events. I'm just talking like a, a nodule, like a blue subcutaneous nodule for a Tyndall effect from a superficial injection or perhaps a granuloma that forms where it's again a nodule that forms. Um, and they're just a little bit more difficult to treat. They last a bit longer. So I, I think I wouldn't gamble. I certainly wouldn't go anything closer than three months. Um, and again, I'd really try to plan around six months just in case you have something untoward happen. Right. Let's put together something definitive here. Yep. So I would say six months before you want to start a good skincare routine. That means getting on your retinoid. That means wearing your sunscreen. And then I would say around that time period, anywhere from three to six months, you could you could probably dabble in chemical peels, microneedling. And then as you get closer and closer, I would say you could probably do filler around that three months, two, two to three months, uh, Botox two to one to two months before. And then about one month before, two months before, I think like very light laser treatments, you could get away with them if you wanted a really healthy glow, things like clear and brilliant, maybe even some microneedling around two months before. But even then, I think you're getting in a little bit of a danger territory, especially with microneedling. Clear and brilliant, something that's very superficial laser, pretty much has no side effects. I would say you could probably get away with that to just have that like glow right before a wedding. Um, But beyond that, I, I would be very cautious about things that I'm doing. And then if you have a relationship with your dermatologist, I always tell people that are, I've had a few people come into me right before their weddings um, to prep for their wedding uh, a few months before, but even like in an emergency right before the wedding. And so if you have a good relationship with a dermatologist before, I actually injected a guy's pimple uh, t- the day before his wedding uh, with steroid. Um, he came in an emergency pimple, injected it, and he like showed me the pictures afterwards. He looked great. So yeah, I mean, I, like I think that's the probably the be- the biggest benefit is like an emergency antibiotic or steroid injection from your derm um, on on wedding day. I'm with you, and then I'd say for that last month leading up to wedding day, I think your routine is very much stable. So I'd say no new ingredients. I would avoid anything you might potentially become allergic to. Have a lot of irritation from, and then also I would maximize calming, soothing, hydrating ingredients for that last month. So everything else stable, no new ingredients, no new allergens, nothing super irritating, no aggressive exfoliation, and a lot of soothing, hydrating ingredients to protect that skin barrier. And then, yeah, absolutely. I actually think bookmarking that day before the wedding dermatology visit is clutch. Like if you have that relationship or you have the, the foresight, the forethought, foresight, forethought, I've been saying that all day, whatever it is, you through that, <laughs> then you have your dermatologist visit right before your wedding, you'll be set up for success. I love how we, in our videos, the the range of what we think is available, we go from, we understand that dermatologists are impossible to reach (laughs) and that you can never see a dermatologist and some of you will never be able to reach a dermatologist, which we definitely understand, all the way to the range of have a dermatologist on call (laughs) the day of your wedding in case you need something. And truly, that is the the dichotomy of the world um, yeah. that's that's really how some people live and how other people live and so some people live in areas where you'll never see a dermatologist and some people live in new york city where you can have a dermatologist on call for your pimple emergencies and 
Yeah. That's just how life is, I suppose. But here's how you um, set that up. You just, the, the most important thing is you just establish yourself in a practice. Like I, I, I always hated well child visits and pediatrics on a, my side of it. I'm just like, like, okay, great to see you. But the one thing that there's value in, like if you move to a new town and you set up a, a visit with a dermatologist, you don't have anything going on. Well, that's okay because then you're established in the practice and you can set up a follow-up visit for a year from now. That's before your wedding. So again, it takes a lot of planning ahead, um, but I, I think it, it can be done. It, it really just takes some deliberate, uh, again, some deliberate planning on your part. Um, but there is the accessibility issue. But if you, again, if you do have a dermatologist in your area, just really think far ahead because it can be done. It can. No, it really is not as inaccessible as I make it seem, I mean, it, it certainly can be done, but in certain geographic areas, like there's no dermatologist, right? Yeah. Especially certain parts of the world, but oh, yeah. um, having a relationship can get you in pretty quick. You know, these were not, this was not a celebrity patient that came to see me, you know, this was actually <laughs> a, a college student, believe it or not, really nice guy. So, um, so yeah, so anyone can really have access to this if you do have a relationship or in your location, they can have it and can be co it's covered by insurance as well. So it's not like something that you'd have to necessarily pay out of pocket for either. All right. So I think that covers our wedding skincare. Actually, the article's pretty good. So I would recommend reading it and even reading that article by Rich Winkleman on what you should do for your acne before your wedding. I think the timeline is really, really interesting and and accurate, you know, as far as I can tell there. So it's a really good article. He's actually a really good guy. Um, so next next topic I wanted to talk about, and this is more into the business of 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 beauty, uh, which we, we covered from time to time. It's a topic that I really enjoy and I'll always talk about. I don't know how much Dr. Maxfield enjoys this topic, <laughs> but it's, it's, about, um, it's about store brands being on the rise. So, this article is coming out of Beauty Packaging and it's a research firm, the Private Label Manufacturers Association said that store brand sales are on the rise in the first half of 2023, outpacing regular national brands, meaning like your Walmart brand and your Walgreens brand and your CVS brand are outpacing their competitors that are like the the like authentic, you know, non-generic versions of them. And they're basically saying that this category is expected to continue to grow. They benefit from awareness from the other brands that sit beside them. And um, they mention here that because Student loan repayments are going to resume. Borrowers of all ages may lean in to strategies to tighten their household budgets, including more value-friendly store brand items to their grocery list, which I, I, I think is such an absurd proposition that, um, that, that they're predicting that this trend is because of that. <laughs> I don't even know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I know that... Um, student loan repayments are going to resume and and I have a lot of student loans to repay and so I will be affected on my bottom line from that but there's no universe where I'm starting to to change my spending habits maybe people are more responsible than I am but uh until it affects my bottom line immediately I'm not going to be changing my my how not I'm not 6 months ago thinking about what Biden is doing in the White House and making purchasing decisions based on that. And I don't know. I mean, someone could correct me in the comments if I'm wrong, but are people following politics to make consumer decisions? I don't know if they are. I also don't know if that's like a bad idea. 
<laughs> I think there's, you know, I'm also not that great at planning. Um, and yes, the student loans are going to hurt a lot. Like for any doctors out there who carry a lot of student loans, like it, it hurts a lot. It's more than you think in terms of the monthly payments. Um, but th- I did an interesting thing on this because there's one one part of this I particularly agree with you. And it's, it's how much would this actually save you? uh money because i went to i don't know this i don't do a lot of in store shopping but there was a period about a month ago i was just like obsessed and i went to walmart and i went to cvs and i went to target and i went to uh ulta sephora trader joe i went everywhere and one of the things that struck me was because i was trying to create like a 50 dollars budget skincare routine which is hard to create a complete routine in 50 bucks almost impossible then I was like, okay, I need a $100 skincare routine. Then I was like, all right, well, it was a $200 skincare routine. But well, part of that, I was like, okay, can I pinch pennies by buying the generic dupe, the, the, the side-by-side and comparator that these stores are putting on the shelves next to the actual brands? And it doesn't save as much as I thought. Like you look at the CeraVe resurfacing serum, you look at the Walmart resurfacing serum, it's like a buck. It's like a $2 difference between the two. And I, I personally am not sure it's worth the lack of consistency in ingredients and formulation that that $2 difference, I'm not sure it's worth it. Now, if you have a, if you're buying something expensive, like a La Mer dupe, yeah, that's probably worth it. If you're looking for a skin SkinCeuticals vitamin C dupe, it might be worth shaving $200 down to 80 bucks with like a, the dermatology vitamin C F one, like that seems reasonable to me. But when you get into the $1, $2, I'm again, I, I have a little bit of distrust for generic brands. Um, and I, I think there's some data to back that up, but uh, I, I don't know if it's really worth the $2 save, um, but that's up to everyone. Obviously, budget is a personalized thing, uh, but just add it up, see if it really makes a big difference. I'm not super optimistic that that's where you're going to be saving yourself. Yeah. To your point, the price differential is not, it's not as big as it used to be, or at least maybe I felt like it used to be like the store brand version used to be like half the price, like store brand Oreos were like half the price mm-hmm. of real Oreos. And that made a big difference. But now the difference seems to be, you know, 20%. And you can sometimes even find a coupon to make it so that the authentic one is the same price. And to your point, when it comes to skincare, you know, comparing, you know, uh, you know, Honey Nut Cheerios to Sugar O's from Walmart, is a taste thing, right? You're 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 going to basically say, do I think they're comparable in taste? Whereas with skincare, it's much more difficult for the consumer to know the efficacy and safety of the ingredient portfolio. I remember that there was a video where someone was comparing the CeraVe cleanser to like the Equate cleanser or something mm-hmm. like that, and basically saying, hey, buy the Equate cleanser because it's the same thing and it's like thirty percent cheaper. And I remember actually looking at that video and seeing that the Equate cleanser actually had very they were the the ingredient lists were almost identical, but the but the preservatives that the Equate one was using were much more likely to cause allergy. And so they were the same but different, really, right? And so there are some of these minor nuances that can make the product inferior. Also, a lot of these brands go through tons of clinical testing. Whereas the private label ones don't go through nearly as much testing, if any testing at all, beyond stability. They're definitely not doing clinical testing um, and they're not sold necessarily as at mass to the point where they care, you know, distributing in several countries, you know, making sure that all the compliance needs are met. So I definitely think that some of the bigger brands are going to be putting more safety and efficacy research into their products. 
And so I would lean, if the price difference is small, I would lean into definitely the original product, but $2 can be a big difference, right? For, for somebody. So I definitely, in, I definitely know in my lifetime, I've made decisions over $2 on buying a product or not. And so I could see how I used to, you know, fight over the red box, um, <laughs> making sure I returned by midnight, right? Because otherwise you got charged the extra day. It was a dollar, right? But we had a rush to get that thing back, right? Because so I so I get I so I get where like a dollar or two can make a big difference, but at the same time, I, I sort of agree with you when it comes to skincare investing, you know, and then over time, like if that cleanser lasts you three months, then you know, two dollars spread out over three months, it doesn't hurt as much, right? But then when you start mm-hmm. to add in a bunch of things, it, it can add up. But that being said, yeah, I don't know that the price differential is actually as large as it used to be. And the risk, I don't know if it's worth it at this point. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm kind of skeptical of dupes, kind of skeptical on generics. Um, that's just me. But uh, save money where you need to, um, but be aware of when you're sacrificing to save and if it's worth it. So I think that's fair. As a much more disciplined per- ver- version of me, Dr. <laughs> Maxfield, my question to you is, are you paying attention to the news and implementing changes <laughs> to your budget based on that? Because maybe mm. I'm actually short-sighted and i'm not thinking like oh i'm about to have a ten thousand dollar a month payment coming in from the from when these student loans get turned i don't even know what my payment is going to be if it's going to be very very high oh i do it's i don't but i know it's going to be high yeah it's like four thousand a month the um i i do kind of pay attention to that and so i've me and my wife have i'm a budgeter and so we've had a few budget you've always been a budgeter because you always had an excel sheet (laughs) that you would show me and i've not been a budgeter so maybe i'm the outlier i'd love to hear from people in the comments if you're on a platform if you're watching on youtube i'd love to hear how many of you are budgeters to the point where not only are you doing your day-to-day and monthly budgets based on what your actual expenses are but how much are you predicting Mm -hmm. into the future what your expenses will be because if you're doing that I need to hire you to help me budget. Maybe I'll create this. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll open source my Google Excel file because it's awesome. You just plug and play Wi-Fi bill here, rent in here, uh, student loans here. And it like comes out with your green and your red and like how much. You, this is why I work so hard in residency. Like I, a lot of you all don't know this, but in residency before social media started, Dr. Sean and I were doing multiple side jobs. Like, and for me, I had a family already. Um, my bottom line wasn't matching. I was like negative 400 a month. Uh, with residency income with the family and i was like well crap that doesn't make sense so like we were tutoring we were doing question banks all this stuff and for me a part of that was truly motivation just because i needed to make the uh, the budget balance and so my wife even tells me still she's like yeah i would sneak to like a restaurant and get a sweet tea or something and i would hide it from you because we felt so guilty spending a dollar so i totally get that um but I, there's they, there's definitely a time where like that dollar matters um but yeah i do plan ahead i do plan for all this stuff um but yeah, maybe I'll share that. Yeah, no, I, I remember this very clearly. First of all, I remember always that you were in the red <laughs> and that tutoring actually made you in the black for the first yeah, time. Yeah, that was amazing. So I remember when that happened, that was a big shifting point for you. It was. That was amazing. Um, and I also remember that you would only buy, you would you would never go out to eat with me. Um, <laughs> so we would go and you'd say like, no, I'm not going out to eat. I'm just going to eat oatmeal. So um I also think you were being overly frugal, to be fair. Yeah. But uh, but to your point, you definitely know how to pinch a penny when you need to. So, 
So yeah, so I guess when it comes to skincare, you know, splurge where you can, but we definitely understand that times are tight. But I, I really want to know how how much people are budgeting and maybe how irresponsible I am. That's that's actually the question. Sometimes I think I'm the normal one and I'm actually the outlier. Uh, so sometimes it's helpful to hear from people <laughs> like where I'm the outlier. All right. So um, I think that pretty much covers everything that we wanted to talk about. Oh, the last thing I wanted to talk about, and you're probably asking why I sent you this article on fragrance, mm. but there's this article coming out of Beauty Packaging and it said, Fragrance Foundation reveals the winners at the star-studded awards gala. So this is the 50th anniversary of the Fragrance Foundation Award. So this is a big, this is a big thing every year, this Fragrance Foundation Award. Um, this one was in New York City where they basically presented awards to the newest fragrances. Look, why do I care about this? Well, it's a uh, shout out to my brother, my actual brother, who is uh, the uh, director of marketing with Prada. Hmm. And he, uh, he launched Prada's fragrance this year called Paradox. And it won fragrance of the year for women. Um, wow. And so shout out to him. Very proud of him um, for, you know, he has a very interesting life as well. He was a Marine. Um, and then he went back to business school afterwards, and um, now he launched the most successful fragrance of the year. So, hmm. very proud of him. Shout out to him. That's awesome. That's all I wanted to say. Okay. Well, I mean, I think that's worth saying. Dude, how fun a video would that be? Dude, okay. So, we talked about like spa day with us. It may never happen. We're just both so busy, but I would love that. Dude, I would love to go to Bath and Body Works with you and just like do a fragrance rating session or have these. All right. Just... Favorite fragrance from Bath and Body Works for your home candles. Uh, well, mine's like this blue ocean one. I'm like actually a Bath and Body Works shopper now. This is my like secret bad indulgence. Uh, we buy a lot of candles from Bath and Body Works. And I think the <laughs> best scent for the car for a guy, mm-hmm. mahogany teak wood. Absolute fire. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll pick that up. I don't know. I took my son. I thought it'd be fun for my son. I was like, hey, just I like to do adventures with him. So like, let's pick, like, go get the best smelling thing you can ever find. He bought his favorite in Bath and Body Works was the um, bourbon. The bourbon uh, body soap. <laughs> I thought he was going to pick I like- I have to start questioning his upbringing at this point. <laughs> I was going to go with donut or sugar or something. But, <laughs> but yeah, I like the, I like the uh, blue ocean one. I, I'd like, I love that scent. Um, but it's a rinse off product. So like that's how I validate it in my mind. Like that's my rinse off product, right? So I, I really only buy the candles and the air fresheners. Um, and I, I buy all that mahogany teak wood. So if you come to my house, it's going to be smelling like mahogany teak wood. <laughs> also, I can barely breathe right now. So I think I might actually be ill. Uh, I try to keep a, a positive attitude through this, but um, I think we're going to have to wrap this mm. episode. <laughs> all right, you get some sleep. <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, Please like and comment and subscribe wherever you're listening from. We appreciate and love all of you. Um, Definitely leave comments if you're on YouTube. I definitely would love to hear some feedback from all of you. Um, And all of you stay well. All right. We appreciate y'all. Thank you so much. Have a good one.